Here we are, harvest season, kicking off a new season together as a church. Uh, I'll just, I'll be real honest with you, and you'll probably experience this in a lot of my communication. This is one that I'm passionate about. This is one uh, personal mission for me. God's been doing a work in my heart. Honestly, I think um, since mid-2020, this has been something that's been bouncing around in my spirit, and it just feels like it's time to do it. So here we go. John chapter four, here we are. Uh, as is the, the, the way with some of our seasons that we do, we have a mantra that we declare together, um, and this is our mantra for this season. John chapter four, Jesus comes to the people and he says, you say there are four months until the harvest, but I say to you, open your eyes, the harvest is now. Here is our declaration. We won't wait four months. Got it? What is Jesus saying? Jesus is saying, you think you have four months to reach your coworkers. You think you have four months to reach your family. You think you have four months to share the gospel. You, you think the harvest is four months from now. I'm telling you, the moment is right now, and we're not gonna be a church, and we're not gonna pe- be a people that waits four months to reach somebody, right? We won't wait four months. Let's say it together. We won't wait four months. We gotta own it though, we can't just declare it. It's gotta get deep down in your spirit so that when you are talking with somebody who doesn't know Jesus, when you are in the break room and your coworker comes in there, this should boil up in you. I'm not going to wait four months. I'm telling myself that. When I'm sitting in a restaurant and I meet a server who knows that I'm a pastor and asks me a question and I'm saying to myself, I'm not going to wait four months right now. I'm not gonna wait four months. I'm gonna take my opportunity right now to have as many gospel conversations as I can, to extend as many church invitations as I can, and to do everything I can to reap a harvest. Okay, John chapter four. As you can tell, this one's been boiling in me, and hey, this is is the last worship experience, so we got a little extra time. No football, maybe there is. Who cares about preseason? Here we go. Thank you, time. John chapter four. Narrative starts like this. Jesus comes to a Samaritan woman at a well and he asks her for a drink. He says, will you give me a drink? And she says to him, why are you asking me for a drink? And Jesus looked at her and he said, if you knew who you were talking to, you would ask me for living water and I would give it to you. She still had no clue what he was saying. She said, so like you would tie a rope to a bucket and lower it in the well, but the well is empty, so how would you, where is this living water going to come from? And Jesus says to her, anyone who drinks this water will be thirsty, but those who drink the water that I give will never thirst again. So she doesn't get it again. This, this one's got a long on-ramp, right? She's got, a, she's got a little ways to go. So he says to her again, she looks at him and she says, wow, well then give me this water and I'll never have to go to this well again. She got excited, she was like, oh, okay, so like, you mean this is like water on tap that doesn't run out? Well, well, give me that water then and I'll take it. And Jesus uses for her an illustration of her own sinfulness. He says, go and get your husband. And she says, I don't have a husband. And he says, you are right, you've had four husbands and the man you're with now is not your husband. Now it's starting to click. She looks at Jesus and she said, I've heard the Messiah is coming. <laughs> You're like, well, that was interesting. I've heard the Messiah is coming. And here's what Jesus says to her. He looks at her and he says, I am the Messiah. Here's where we pick up the narrative. John chapter 4, 27 through 38. It says, just then, 
his disciples came back. They were shocked to find him talking to a woman, but none of them had the nerve to ask, what do you want with her? Or why are you talking to her? The woman left her water jar beside the well and ran back to the village telling everyone, come and see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could he possibly be the Messiah? So the people came streaming from the village to see him. Meanwhile, the disciples were urging Jesus, Rabbi, eat something. Verse 32, but Jesus replied, I have a kind of food you know nothing about. Verse 33, did someone bring him food while we were gone? Here here is an interesting study for you, right? Uh, Throughout the entire gospel narrative, there's never a moment where the disciples understand what Jesus is saying. Not once. The best they do is say, we don't understand. The worst they do is make these generalized assumptions that are always completely wrong. How's he gonna feed a bunch of people with five loaves and two fish? What on earth, did somebody come by here and feed him? Did they they give him some, like nowhere. Let me ask you a quick question. What does that tell us about us? If the disciples couldn't get it right, let let me give you a little hint. We're not Jesus in the gospel narratives, okay? We're to be like Jesus, but we are the disciples, right? So if they don't get it right, what does that tell us about us? That we can't trust us. We can't trust our own assumptions. We can't trust what we think should happen, what should be happening, and why is this not happening? Because Jesus could have a different way. He could be doing something different among us. That's why we live by the power of the Holy Spirit. We live in submission to Jesus. We live fully trusting that he has the plan for our lives, not us. And when we get it wrong, we just return to his feet. Okay, keep going. So did someone bring him food while we were gone? The disciples asked. Then Jesus explained, my nourishment comes from doing the will of God who sent me and from finishing his work. You know the saying, here we are, Four months between planting and harvest, but I say, wake up and look around. The fields are already ripe for harvest. We won't wait four months. We won't wait four months. Jesus is saying, look around. You think it's four months from now, but it's right in front of your face. Verse 36, the harvesters are paid good wages, and the fruit they harvest is people brought to eternal life. What joy awaits both the planter and the harvester alike? You know the saying, one plants and another harvests, and it's true. I sent you to harvest where you didn't plant. Others have already done the work, and now you get to gather the harvest. We won't wait for months. I've, I've titled this message, Adventures in Missing the Mark. Adventures in Missing the Mark, because if you, if you really study this narrative, the disciples just couldn't hit the mark. Before we go there, uh, I want to share with you some of my favorite adventures in missing the mark. One of them, I heard this a long time ago, it was a pastor who got up on stage, we're notorious for missing the mark on stuff like this, and he said, we're, we're having a single mom's meeting after church. All women interested in becoming part of the single moms should meet in the pastor's office after church. I mean, I would change the location, (laughs) number one, right? Maybe reword that a little bit. There was another one, pastor came up and he said, uh, we are collecting eggs for our Easter egg giveaway next Sunday. So if you feel led to participate, come lay your eggs on the altar. 
okay, right? Uh, we had one, right? Do you remember this summer? This was a good one, right? We had a summer activity, throwing axes, fishing, all of these things, and we, we named it Swinging Fun, I think is what it was. Swinging Fun, everyone's invited. I was like, well... If you have no clue what I'm talking about, to the pure, all things are pure, God bless you and your homeschool background, it's, it's okay. But I saw, and I was like, wait a second. We, we, but adventures in missing the mark, right? Here's a few more of them. I stole them. One, one of my favorites, by the way, before we throw those up there, um, there was one that I remember reading. It said, President Bush visits U.S. virgins. How about Virgin Islands, right? Like there's, there's an island at the end of that that gives it way better context, right? Here's a few more news stories that just adventures in missing the mark. Here we go. Students cook and serve grandparents. <laughs> Whoops. All right, next one. Oh, this is in Sacramento. This is Sacramento B. Homeless survive winter. Now what? <laughs> I don't know, spring? <laughs> I mean, what are we? So let's see, we got another one. Um, survey finds fewer deer after hunt. Imagine that, right? Um, okay, next one. Oh man, and this was the Associated Press that did this one. Mississippi's literacy program shows improvement. <laughs> I think we're missing a couple S's and an I there. All right, what else we got? Um, oh my. One-armed man applauds the kindness of strangers. Who, like, how are you so tone deaf? How do, you, how do you write that? Adventures in completely missing the mark. And listen, those are, those are funny ones, but here's the question that I would ask you, and this has been burning in my soul since mid-2020. Are we missing the mark are we completely missing the mark as a church, as believers, as a pastor? Are we, are we completely missing it in a way where everyone outside of this room on Sunday mornings is looking at us and they're not drawn to us, they're laughing at us? Listen, we're supposed to be the most gracious, merciful, kind, loving, faithful, gentle people on the place of the planet. Read the Beatitudes and read the fruits of the Spirit. That's what we're supposed to be. But do we look like that? Are we experienced like that? Or are we completely missing the mark? Adventures in missing the mark. The disciples in this story in John chapter four, and it's pretty obvious, they missed the mark in four, in three ways, not four, in three ways. I'll give you a fourth one, this is the 11 after all, but they missed the mark in three ways. Here they are, number one, missing the moment. They missed the moment. The moment was right in front of them and they couldn't see it. Number two, they missed the meal. Adventures in missing the mark. Jesus tells them what the meal is, and they're like, wait, did somebody give him food? They missed the meal. And the third, adventures in missing the mark, they missed the mission. They completely missed the mission that was right in front of them. If we're going to reap a harvest as a church, as individual believers, as a community called to impact culture, we have got to know when the moments hit us. We have got to know what the meal is and we've got to see the mission right in front of us. So let's dive in. Number one, 
Adventures in missing the mark, missing the moment. Here's the disciples. They missed the moment. John 4, 27 through 30. It's fairly obvious. It says, just then his disciples came back. They were shocked. You could circle that. It could be translated offended. It means caught off guard in a negative way. So they looked. They're offended. They're shocked. They're bothered. They're troubled. And here's what they said. They, saw, they were shocked to find him talking to a woman, but none of them had the nerve to ask. Southern hospitality at its finest, right? I'm judging you in my mind, but I'll never say, oh, God bless you. How's your mom and them, right? But we're just thinking in our minds, they didn't have the nerve to ask, what do you want with her? Or why are you talking to her? Isn't it ironic that they are, they are shocked at the moment when Jesus is trying to lead a broken, rejected woman to belief in the Messiah as Lord, and his own disciples are looking at him, and they're sitting there, and they're saying to themselves, what's he doing? Why on earth is he talking to her? I'll tell you how this comes out in my context, okay? My context would be, I saw the pastor at Starbucks having coffee with that gay guy. What is he doing that for? Why would he be doing that? Here's another one for you. Uh, I I saw the pastor, he had lunch with the two twin brothers that lead the Black Lives Matter movement in town. Why why would he be, this is my email inbox. Welcome Welcome to my email inbox and my social media DMs. If you want some more, I've got some more for you. One was, uh, I, there's this man that goes to that church, and he is a sinner. He cheated on his wife. He's just a total, he's a scam artist. He's all this, and they let him worship at that church. If you want to know what kind of church they are, that's the kind of church that they are. That's, that's the kind of stuff that they do. I saw the pastor hug his neck after church on a Sunday morning. You know, like attracts like. What's that tell you about the pastor? Welcome to my email inbox. Here's another one. Have you heard the worship that these guys are putting out? I love the new song that they wrote. I love all that they're doing. Oh, man, the song is incredible. It sounds so good. I love it all. Did you know they have a woman pastor? Did you know that? As if the New Testament doesn't empower female leadership, right? Did you, did you know that they had a woman pastor? Did you know all these? You know what this is? This is adventures in missing the moment. It is adventures in missing a moment right in front of our face. We are so politically distracted. We are so culturally saturated and social media medicated. We can't even see a moment right in front of our face to reach somebody that doesn't look like us, that doesn't talk like us, that doesn't act like us. Instead, we would rather pull back and cast judgment than see right in front of our face. It's the same thing Jesus did. The disciples missed the moment. And they missed the moment because they would rather sit back and be judgmental. They would rather sit back and point fingers than realize that Jesus is leading this woman into a life-saving relationship with the Savior of the world. We don't do this right. We don't do this right. We're, 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 I, I see the signs everywhere. It says, welcome home, you belong here, all of these things. But really? Really? Are we missing the mark or are we that place? I've been to South Africa a number of times and I'll just tell you, uh, South Africans, 
they are different when it comes to zoos. They are, they are, they are wild. I'm thinking, I get to South Africa the first time, and when I get there, uh, they invite me to a lion park, and I'm thinking Kansas City Zoo, right? I'm like, okay, cool. This will be a fun little thing to do. We get there. The first thing that we did was walk into a cage with real life lions. Like, we walk up, and they open the cage, and like, do you guys want to pet the little lions? And I was like, what? And like, yeah, come on in. The guy's like, come on, me bro. Come on, me bro. Come pet the lions. And I'm like, and look, like you're thinking baby lions, right? Like kitties. No, no, no. These are bigger than your German shepherd. Like baby lions are big lions, right? And so he's like, come on. And I'm just like, is this for real? Like, this, is, this is 30 seconds on. They're like, yeah, come on in, pet the lions. So I walk in there. So all these lions walk around. The guy says to me, hey, when you pet them, scratch them firmly, okay? Because if you scratch them softly, they're going to think you're a fly and they're going to swipe at you. And then if, if you jump, they're going to sense some, some weakness and like, we just, we'll have to pull you out of the cage. I'm like, what? Are you serious? So I'm walking around, I'm roughing up these little lions. I'm like, come here, you know, getting these little lions and playing with them. And then we leave and we walk out of the cage and we walk out of the cage. There's a full grown tiger in the cage next to I'm talking massive, big African tiger right there. And I jokingly said, Oh, are we going into the tiger cage next? And he says, Oh, you want to go in the tiger cage? Okay. I'm like, no. I'm joking, like I'm kidding with you, right? So then we go, we get in this truck and it's got this cage on the back and they drive us through this safari of thousands of acres and lions living in their own natural habitat and it was incredible. I mean, it was insane. These, these guys are running, they're climbing trees. We got there at mealtime, so they hung their food out. And I mean, if you've never heard a no, 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 not heard. Some of you heard. If you've never felt a lion's roar, you heard it, you weren't close enough. But man, if you are within 500 yards of a lion that lets, it will, it will change you. Like it rattles your soul. Every hair on your body vibrates. Like you are just, it shakes the earth. It feels like an earthquake. So we're there, we're experiencing all this. I'm like, man, this is so incredible, right? And then we end, and as we end, we pulled the truck in and he said, okay, last stop, let's go see the big boy. I'm like, what? <laughs> yeah, yeah, let's go see the big boy. So we go back to this cage. And I, I'm not kidding you. There is like this lion. I, I, I have Aslan, right? Like it is him. He in the flesh, just huge, big, bulky, huge man, just prowling when he walks. You know, he looks like Conor McGregor in slow-mo, right? He's just this big, massive, strong. And I'm looking at him and I see the chain link fence and it's bowed like this. And they're like, yeah, walk along, y'all go see. And I'm like, what? I asked him, because I saw the, the fence bowed pretty good. I said, is this safe, <laughs> right? Said, is this safe to do? And he looks at me, and this is what he said. He said, oh yeah. He said, it's totally safe. He said, the big boy, he hasn't moved in years. He hasn't moved in years. He's been in here so long, he does it. And here's what I was thinking to myself. Like, I was in a caged truck driving through, seeing lions that were kittens compared to this guy. And they were full of life, and they were wild, and they were running, and they were climbing trees, and they were devouring food, and they were wrestling around, and it was so insane. And then I see the biggest, the strongest, the baddest one of them all, and he's just moping around, and they said he hasn't even moved in years. What they were saying is he's domesticated. It has me asking the same question 
that Mark Batterson asked. Mark Batterson asked this. He says, have churches done to people what zoos have done to animals? Have we domesticated ourselves rather than becoming disciples? Have we become so domesticated in our own little bubble that we don't even realize what it is like to run wild after souls, to go after reaching people that don't look like me, act like me, talk like me, or want anything to do with me, and yet there is this calling in our soul, or have we become so domesticated that if they don't sit by you in church, they don't attend your small group, and they don't volunteer on the same team you don't volunteer on, you have nothing to do with them. That's domesticated. Disciples went after souls. Jesus' message to them was, this is missing the moment. The moment, I hope every moment in your life from this point forward is ruined. I hope the break room is ruined. I hope you sitting in class is ruined. I hope Thanksgiving is ruined and Christmas is ruined because all you can think about is souls. All you can think about is the harvest is not four months from now. The harvest is now, and this person needs help. This person needs Jesus. This person needs to experience the love of Christ. This person needs to know what grace is really like, and God has placed me in this moment, and I'm not going to miss it. Disciples looked around, and they said, what is he doing? Meanwhile, Jesus is doing the work. Number two. They missed the moment. Jesus is right there ministering to her, and they're like, what is he doing? Meanwhile, he is seeing a heart transform before him. So then the second thing, what do they miss? They miss the meal. John 4, 31 through 34. Meanwhile, the disciples were urging Jesus, Rabbi, eat something. But Jesus replied, I have a kind of food you know nothing about. Did someone bring him food while we were gone? The disciples asked each other. Then Jesus explained, my nourishment comes from doing the will of God who sent me and from finishing his work. They say to him, eat something. And Jesus says, oh, I'm eating. I'm eating. And it is a way better meal than anything that you can serve me. You realize this. You're excited to get out of here in 15 minutes and go eat your meal and stand in line at a restaurant and get dessert too because it's Sunday and they don't count, right? You're so excited for that meal. Do you realize there's a better meal right here? Do you realize there's a better meal right here? There's a better meal in your soul, sharing the word of God, loving people who are far from God, extending grace to people who are broken. That is the meal, and that is a better meal than anything that you could go and eat. That meal for me is a ribeye, lobster, mac and cheese, french fries, and a deep dish chocolate chip cookie. You wanna become really good friends with me? You become really, that's the meal, right? That is my dream meal. And do you realize that meal will satisfy me for 12 hours? Maybe. <laughs> I'm getting old and I eat all the time, right? But there is a meal that satisfies us for eternity and the disciples missed the meal. Jesus told them plainly, this is the meal, and here is the meal, and here's what I need you to understand. The meal is not for pastors, and the meal is not for church staff. The meal is for every single one of us to eat in here, and the meal is souls. The meal is reaching people. 
The meal is being Jesus, living like Jesus, and doing what Jesus did in the culture and context that he has placed you in. That's the meal. And listen, the meal's for everybody. You don't have to be a pastor to partake in this meal. In fact, here's what drives me crazy, and this is the era that I grew up in, okay? I grew up in an era where if you were the most spiritual out of all of your friends and you loved Jesus the most out of all of your friends and you led the Bible study among your friends, you had to become the pastor, right? It was like, they would, they would say, oh, you, you lead a Bible study? You love Jesus? You raise your hands in worship? You should become a pastor. You're the next pastor. And I think that's not pastoral calling. And I think we've talked a lot of people into ministry and in the process we have robbed the marketplace, I was with a, a college guy who, man, he's just sharp, loves Jesus, has, is full of the spirit, he's excited, he's passionate, he wants to see God use him to make a difference. And while we were sitting there, I, I just felt prompted because I could see the tension that he was walking through that I walked through, right? And I said to him, you, you realize to do what you're called to do for Jesus, you don't have to become a pastor. In fact, I'll take it a step further, and I truly wholeheartedly believe this. The church does not need more pastors. We've got a ton of them. There's one on every corner. The church does not need more pastors. The marketplace needs more pastors. The marketplace needs more pastors. We need more pastors in medical sales offices. We need more pastors on law enforcement teams. We need more pastors in hospitals. We need more pastors in businesses. We need more pastors in retail shops. We need people who are passionate about Jesus, called to serve him, and hungry for souls, going into the marketplace every single day. And then look, the church becomes the refuge, right? And I believe this, as we migrate into more and more of a post-Christian culture, if they're not gonna come in here, if we're missing the mark and they're not gonna come in here, we've only got one option. Where do we go? Where do we go? We gotta go out there. If they won't come in here, we gotta go out there. So we have to have an army of pastors that have gathered, that have worshiped together, that are filled up, charged up, ready to take on culture and share the love of Jesus with our community. And we have to go. That's what the church becomes. We become the sending place, not the sitting place. And every single one of us participates in the meal. Every single one of us is hungry for the meal. Listen to this. Jesus was a carpenter. Paul was a tent maker. Peter, James, and John were fishermen. And Matthew was a tax collector. To think that you have to become a pastor to make a world-changing impact for Jesus is absurd. If you are called to the marketplace and passionate about Jesus, you are the future of evangelism. You are the future of reaching people, and I completely, wholeheartedly believe it. I'll give you a tangible example. Um, for me, I, and, and I have a friend who owns a barbershop, so uh, this is not my friend's barbershop, right? Uh, I gotta clarify that, I gotta absolve my friends of guilt, or he's gonna be trying to fire somebody, okay? Um, but I was at a different barbershop, and I was getting my hair cut. They did a great job. Um, just the, the music and the language was so unbelievably bad. Like, I'm not talking like kind of vulgar. I'm talking about explicit, like, I was like, oh my goodness, like, I'm blushing, right? And I got a life before Jesus, and I'm just like, oh my goodness, like, Holy Spirit, help me in this place, right? And I'm just trying to be Jesus to these guys, and, and he's cutting my hair, and there's a couple guys in chairs here, and barbers, and they're talking about their weekend activities and all kinds of stuff, and I'm just like, oh Lord. And then all of a sudden, I'm sitting in the chair, and the guy asks me, he says, hey, what do you do for work? I was like, dang it. 
My cover's about to be blown. I'm, in, I'm like, do I lie and just try to witness a little more? Or do I tell him and just blow this whole thing? So I'm sitting there. I said, uh, I'm, I'm actually a pastor. And he was like, oh, no, okay. And he, he turns my chair as I'm sitting in it, grabs this bottle of Febreze, and he starts going, spraying it all over. And the other guy in the chair looks over at him, and he, he squirts it a little more, and he goes, oh, and I'm catching this in the mirror, right? And he looks, oh, oh okay, clean it up, 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 right? Clean it up, right? So then he's sitting there, he's cutting my hair, and I asked him, I said, what's with the Febreze? <laughs> And he started laughing. He said, oh, man, you caught that, huh? And I said, yeah, yeah, I caught it. What's with the Febreze? And he said, man, it's our signal to clean things up. It's our signal to clean up your language. And the volume of the music went down. The channel began to change. KSBJ. No, I'm thinking. <laughs> didn't, go that, didn't go that far. But the music goes down. The language began to change. And I just, I realized in that moment, I lost my opportunity. Why? Because if I can't meet the real you, I can't reach the real you. If we can't meet the real you, we can't reach the real you, right? And I'm not going to give up. I'm going to go there. I'm going to keep getting my hair cut. I'm going to become the preacher, and they're going to spray Febreze, and I'm going to take every opportunity I can to have a gospel conversation and see what Jesus does. But I will tell you this. I was thinking to myself in my mind, do you know how much of an impact somebody who is in love with Jesus, filled with the Holy Spirit, and passionate about cutting hair, do you know what they could do in that barbershop? Do you know the kind of ministry that they could have? Do you know the hundreds of people that they could reach? Do you know they could reach the whole staff? They could reach, they could turn the music to KSBJ. They could reach people sitting in the chairs. They could have so much more impact than me. That's what I'm saying. Being a pastor is not, is the meal to partake in of reaching souls is not left for pastors only. That is all of our meal. That is all of our meal. That means you have a moment and a meal to eat tomorrow in the break room. You've been working with somebody for months and you know they're walking through a hard time and you know the answers that we have and they're just everything but begging you to have a gospel conversation with them. Guess what? Don't miss your moment. Partake in the meal. It's a meal for all of us. It's the meal that Jesus has called us to and that meal is soul's. That's the meal we're called to. And then watch this. He finishes right here with missing the mission. This is wild. They miss the moment. They're, they're literally judging Jesus as Jesus is reaching people. And then they miss the meal. They're like, what were you doing? Has somebody already fed you? And Jesus is like, I am eating everything that I need. I am being fully satisfied by reaching people. And then they miss the mission. John 4, 35 through 38. You know the saying saying, you're familiar with this. This is how your livelihood operates. You're in an agricultural culture. You know the saying, four months between planting and harvest, but I say, wake up and look around. The fields are already ripe for harvest. We won't wait four months. The harvesters are paid good wages and the fruit they harvest is people brought to eternal life. Did you hear that? He said the harvesters are paid good wages and their paycheck is souls. Your paycheck is no longer what hits your bank account on the 1st and 15th. Your paycheck is souls. That's the paycheck we're after. 
Jesus said, the harvester, and the, they are fruitful, and they are paid good wages. And you know what they're paid? Souls. You know what you're working for now? Souls. You know why you go to work in the morning? Souls. You know why you go to school? Souls. You know why you sit in that classroom? Souls. So that you can have a moment, you can partake in the meal, and you can fulfill the mission of Jesus. So he continues, what joy awaits both the planter and harvester alike. You know the saying, one plants and another harvest, and it's true. I sent you to harvest where you didn't plant. Others had already done the work, and now you will get to gather the harvest. It's not four months, it's now. It's been in my heart since mid-2020. What are we waiting for? Why are we delaying? This is the harvest, and the harvest is now. We know God gives us the moments. We know the meal we're supposed to partake of, and we've seen the mission clearly. It's not four months from now. It's right now. Have you ever had something break and delayed to fix it till it drove you absolutely nuts? I'll, I'll give you an example for me. I had to put a new battery in my truck, and when I took my old battery out, it reset all the electronics in my truck, right? So all my radio stations and everything were messed up, my clock was messed up, and I've got this on my dash, I got this button that I, or on my, my visor, there's a button on there that I press, it opens my garage, and when I change my battery, it reset that as well. So this whole thing, my whole truck's reset, right? So I, I pull in my driveway, and I press that button, and the garage isn't opening. I'm like, oh, it's so annoying, and I go inside, go through the garage, open the garage, bring stuff in. And then I just got busy and I didn't program it and I didn't program it. And literally weeks would go by, right? Where I would leave my house through the garage and I'd get in my truck and I'd press the button and it, it wouldn't close. And I'm like, oh man. So I'd get out, have to go in. You know the drill, right? You press the button, you run, and you've got to get over the sensors. And, and I mean, I, I got a funny video for you. This was my life for weeks. Now I'm a little more athletic than Joey Colcutt, so I didn't do quite this, but this was, this was it, guys. Show them show him my routine. You think no. I just told you to hop for no reason? It's not going to work again, though. It's, it's going to be the same problem. It'll work. Watch your head. He's going to hit his head. Watch your head. Oh, oh no. Yeah. Oh. I can't believe it. That is not ideal. Don't laugh, dude. <laughs> <laughs> I saw that going through a mile away. Cut, you just go in the house. Yo, yo, yo. Are you filming? The whole thing. The whole thing. Thankfully, that wasn't me, but I did that forever, and I would get so annoyed by why not. So finally, I pulled into my garage, I lifted the garage door up, I went, I was like, I am fixing this thing now. I went and pressed the little red button behind the opener, right, started flashing, then I went into my truck, I held the button down six seconds, it started flashing, I ran back, I pressed the red button again, it blinked one time, I ran, I pressed the button in my truck, and the garage door started closing. 30 seconds. And I'm saying to myself, why did I wait three weeks to do something that took 30 seconds that will make a huge impact in my convenience in my life, right? What are we waiting for? What are we waiting for? Why are we waiting for a harvest when Jesus has said it's now? Why are we delaying? The mission is right in front of us. You go to the mission field every single day. It doesn't stop here. It starts here. And it starts when you walk out these doors. 
What are we waiting for? Here's what I'm convinced of. I know in heaven there is no worry, there's no fear, there's no anxiety, there's no heartbreak, right? Scripture tells us those things. So here's what I think. I think the reason we go to heaven and we don't live with tremendous guilt and conviction of people we didn't share Jesus with is because that's how we're supposed to be living right now. That's how we should live right now. There should be a burning in your soul for that coworker. There should be a burning in your soul for your classmates, for your teammates, for your family, for your friends, where you are looking for every opportunity to have a friendly connection, whatever that may look like, extending grace, extending mercy, being a loving person, and then you are having as many gospel conversations as possible. Every time I can have a gospel conversation, I'm having a gospel conversation, and then I am extending church invitations. Every time I sit down at a coffee shop, sit down at a restaurant, wherever I am looking for, Lord, Is this a moment I want to partake in your meal because I'm on mission for you and I know what that mission is. This is harvest season and this is what every single one of us in this room are called to.